Welcome to today's edition of Amazing Creation. I'm Gerald Van Dyke. This show is about the credibility of the scriptures as they pertain to the creation of the world and to our origins in contrast to the dogma of evolution. Our topic today is entitled The Origin of Suffering and Death, and I'll be speaking with Dr. Fred Johnson. Dr. Johnson has a Ph.D. in experimental pathology, was for 10 years on the faculty of the graduate school at Bowman Gray School of Medicine. He moved to the Raleigh area as a research pharmacologist with the Burroughs Welcome Pharmaceutical Company, then moved into clinical research where he has been for the past 18 years. He is currently working as a medical writer in the pharmaceutical industry. Dr. Johnson is on the board of the Triangle Association for the Science of Creation, and I've known Fred for over 20 years since he joined the group. One of our primary purposes is to present the evidence supporting the scriptural account of God's creating us and the world we live in as it is plainly stated in the book of Genesis. Evolution is almost universally now taught in our public schools and universities as the origin of all plant and animal life we see around us. But there are many, including highly educated scientists, who see this as an impossibility and, moreover, as untenable when made to stand beside the revealed Word of God in the Bible. Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gerald. To introduce our listeners to who you are, it is apparent that you are well-trained and experienced in the scientific method. Your whole career has been in science, and yet you are not in alliance with so many other scientists who believe evolution is the answer to our origins. Surely you were trained in evolution, so how did you come to where you are today on this issue? Yes, Gerald, I was thoroughly trained throughout school in the concepts of natural selection, which I agree is real and active in producing population genetic shifts. But I have come to realize that there really is no evidence that natural selection and genetic mutations can bring about what the evolutionists state. We don't have time today to go into all of that, but I do want to say something about my spiritual journey and how I came to rely on the scriptures as a reliable source of information. Although I had grown up in the church, it was not until I was in graduate school that I came to really know God and seek to follow Him and obey Him. I continually had to struggle with what secular scientists were saying about the universe and biology, and my heartfelt desire to follow God and what He has said in the Scriptures. Regarding the creation account, the account of the global flood of Noah, and many other apparently historical accounts recorded in the Bible— I tried to rationalize how these scriptural accounts were just allegories, that the message in them is what mattered, and that they didn't need to be taken literally. But in my spirit, I knew that that was just a compromise to what God expected of me. He's supposed to be trustworthy. There are countless accounts in the Bible of where God expects his people to trust what he says, regardless of their own understanding of things. And the consequences of not believing him at his word are serious. I recall one day when I was going to work at Bowman Gray, when I finally settled in my heart that God could be fully trusted in all that he said, then the outcome of my life was really in his hands. It was then that I began to see that man had been making up stories because they were unwilling to accept what God had told him, that man has a strong propensity for denying God and to rationalize away the things in his word that they are unwilling to accept. 
It was then that my eyes began to be opened to the scientific observations that confirmed what God had said. Not that I needed that to believe God, but that the observable things all confirmed that God's word was true. And if we encounter something that doesn't seem to agree with the scriptures, then it simply means that we aren't seeing the whole picture and we do not understand everything scientifically, not that the scriptures are not true. Fred, that kind of brings us to the topic today. Many scientists say that there's no need for a belief in God to explain our origins and that they now know that evolution explains this. So for the Christian, what is the problem with the belief that God used a Big Bang billions of years ago to create the world and use evolution to create the life we see around us? Well, there are those who I believe genuinely love Christ, but also hold to a belief in the Big Bang and evolution as you describe. But if they are willing to take the Bible seriously, they will see that those beliefs are really untenable on many levels with what they say they believe about Christ. The Christians that I know who say that God could have used evolution to make man from some subhuman primate or from some humanoid species, which is what they have said, also hold that the earth is billions of years old, that God formed new life forms over millions of years, that the flood of Noah was not a global flood, that the fossils represent successive periods of time in which God created simple, single-celled organisms, followed much later by more complex organisms, and over millions of years gradually created all the complex organisms we see, ending in human beings. I believe that God has revealed to us in the scriptures very plainly and clearly that these notions about our origins simply are not true. Fred, can you be more specific about why you think these particular beliefs about our origin are a problem for the Christian? We don't have time today to talk about each of these areas, so I suppose I should pick one for now. Perhaps the most fundamental issue that I believe the Christian must wrestle with is the concept that if God used evolution to create us, he did so with his creation going through millions of years of suffering and death to finally result in the man we call Adam. And that notion is clearly, fundamentally at odds with the biblical account that death and suffering came into this world as a result of man's sin. It was not the process that God had put into place and set into motion millions of years prior to the creation of Adam and Eve. Yes, the Bible does describe death as being a result of sin, but wasn't the death of Adam spoken of in Genesis his spiritual death? Certainly Adam died spiritually when he disobeyed God, but to deny that Adam's physical death was also a consequence of his sin does tremendous damage to the whole concept of the purpose of Christ's suffering and death and to the gospel. But isn't death just part of nature? Remember that when God made Adam, according to Genesis, he took dirt from the ground and formed him physically. But it was not until God breathed into him the breath of life that Adam became a living being, both physically and spiritually. Adam and Eve were created to live forever. And when Adam and Eve fell, the natural consequence was both physical and spiritual death. From that moment that they disobeyed God, they were doomed to mortal death. He was spiritually separated from God, and Adam and Eve immediately started down the road that would end in their physical death. Their bodies would not be able to stave off their inevitable demise. 
Those Christians who believe in evolution don't seem to understand that all of nature, all of God's creation, was changed by Adam's sin and God's curse. They seem to overlook the natural consequences of man's sin. And I mean that literally, that all of creation was changed. So, Fred, elaborate a little more on that. You will recall that God's curse included several things among which were the following, reading from Genesis 3. To Eve he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Eve's childbirth would be painful. No longer would Adam be able to tend the garden as before. Adam was sentenced to hard labor to survive, and he would not escape this prison except by returning to dust. The death sentence, the curse. I have to ask, how would this be a curse if Adam was going to die anyway? Before the fall, there were no birds or beasts of prey. They did not have to devour one another to survive. They, like Adam, lived in a perfectly peaceful garden with an abundance of food that was available without striving. There was no fear of them for each other or for Adam. There was no shedding of blood for survival. And let me read to you a familiar passage in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So how does the idea that Adam's fall resulted only in a spiritual death do damage, as you say, to the gospel? If suffering and death were part of God's created process— and let's not forget that God called it all very good, then the evolutionary position seems to make little of Christ's suffering and death. It seems to me that Christians who minimize the impact of Adam's physical death must also minimize the significance of his suffering and biological extension to Christ's suffering. If Adam's death was only a spiritual death, why did Christ have to physically die? Isn't the purpose of Christ's suffering, death, and physical resurrection from the dead that he endured for us what he did not deserve, suffering and death, and that he was resurrected that we too can have a physical resurrection to eternal life, that God is restoring us to what he had made for us in the beginning? I should point to the extensive passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which goes to length to emphasize the importance of Christ's resurrection. If Adam at the fall only died spiritually, then Jesus must only have needed to rise spiritually. And did Jesus ever die spiritually? No. The resurrection that is spoken of in 1 Corinthians must certainly be a physical resurrection. And consider the verse that says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. All of these scriptures make little sense if one has to turn all of these references to death to be merely a spiritual death. 
So, Fred, I suppose your point is that there's no room for the evolutionary process to be the way God made the first people and be consistent with the Scriptures. Correct. It, or for that matter, it applies to all of his creation, not just man. Disease and death are horrible, and they're not part of God's desire for his creation. To believe evolution is to believe that gout and cancer were part of God's very good creation. Well, we're about out of time today, so do you have any closing words, Fred? Well, yes, one last word of encouragement. This is one of my favorite passages in the scriptures because it presents for us a picture of how life will be when Christ returns and restores all of this mess we live in currently and have for thousands of years to what he created in the beginning. It comes from Isaiah speaking of the return of the Messiah. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. Thank you, Fred. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have Fred Johnson as our speaker today on Amazing Creation. And thanks to you listeners for tuning in. This show is produced by the Triangle Association for the Science of Creation. That's shortened to TASC, T-A-S-C, a Raleigh, North Carolina group of scientists and lay folks whose mission is to increase awareness of the scientific evidence supporting the plain, straightforward understanding of the biblical account of creation. You can find out more about TASC and some good information about the scientific study of the world from the perspective of those who take the scriptures seriously. Just go to the TASC website, tasc-creationscience.org. Our group meets the second Thursday of every month in Raleigh, and the meetings are open to the public. So until next week, this is Gerald Van Dyke for Amazing Creation.